Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rorkraut. And today we will be talking about two truly outstanding films that we've been discussing for a while now, but mm-hmm. haven't been able to dedicate a full episode to. And those films are Nomadland and Minari. I think these are, when I think of 2020, maybe the two most heartfelt and important films of the year. Mm-hmm. We have fun movies that I think of too when I think of the year, but these two especially, I can come back to, I can sob through, I think mm-hmm. are just so genuine in the stories that they're telling. We had to save them for Pisces season. Really, I think that was the reason. <laughs> <laughs> so that we could just cry. <laughs> And now that we can both stream them, it's just lovely to return to. And in some places, too, like if you feel safe going to theaters, I saw Nomadland in IMAX, which was such an experience. I was the only person in the entire theater, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like double masked up. The best way up. to do it. <laughs> it was my own personal screening of oh Nomadland. God. It was amazing. That is. Wow. Yeah. Did IMAX amplify certain sequences? It was incredible. Everything was just beautiful, looked like a painting. I had just this great appreciation for rural America, which I can't say often that I do. And just the expressions on their faces. It was really incredible just to see it with the sound and the music. Oh, really wonderful. So let's get into Nomadland. I know we talked about Nomadland and Minari both on our top five films of 2020. Mm-hmm. Both of these were right outside your top five and were my number one and number two. So let's dive right in. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. It was directed by Chloe Zhao, and it stars Frances McDormand, David Strathairn, and a whole troop of non-professional actors who are just wonderful. And it was based on a book by Jessica Bruder, but adapted and written by Chloe Zhao, also edited by Chloe. Mm -hmm. A tremendous feat. Mm -hmm. And it won the Golden Lion at Venice, won People's Choice at TIFF, and has a total of 162 wins throughout this season. (laughs) That number is astounding, but I think... It's so deserving, too. I know, right? Rewatching this now that it's on Hulu reinvigorated how much I love Chloe Zhao's direction. I still haven't seen her first film, but I really need to. And the writer, I can't hype enough. I think what they both do here, I know Francis is in this for the majority of the film. And the whole cast really is a delight. But the story it tells, I mean, I do have to say this is a Christmas movie as well. So I can't wait to revisit it at the holidays. But Mm -hmm. every moment that Francis gives as Fern is just great to watch. Francis McDormand's performance, I love so much. I could talk about it forever. They don't give a lot of interviews together, Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao. But I watched a couple. And one of my favorite things actually was that Frances, she said that her favorite thing that she's ever read about her was that a critic said that Frances McDormand's face is like a national park. Mm -hmm. It's just, it has just so much experience and just life in it. Mm -hmm. And 
you can totally see how Chloe Zhao appreciates just her face and her as a person throughout this because Fern as a character wasn't actually in the book. She is a creation of Chloe and Francis. And Chloe says that she wanted to create this character that kind of seamlessly interacted with and brought out the life of the other characters in the story, like Swanky and Linda May. And when they talk about this character, Francis said that when she turns 64, this is in real life, she wants to change her name to Fern, drink wild turkey, smoke Lucky Strikes, and hit the road in an RV. She told Joel Cohen that. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is just so funny. Well, I think the fact that Fern and Fran are so close in name, I Mm -hmm. think that also speaks to how Mm -hmm. deeply she connected with the character. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe it was that same interview from Tiff where the moderator asks her about her connection to the character. And she said that she felt that she was that person. Sometimes you forget that it's her. Like, she really does feel Mm -hmm. like she is Fern. Yeah. (laughs) But Fern is also Francis. It's... Very strange, but wonderful. I love the like very intimate moments that we get of her, like having a sick stomach and peeing on the side of the road. And towards the end, you know, at this crossroads of deciding what to do with her family. And then with Dave, played by David Strathairn, who also has the same name, just in like seeing her mind work and trying to decide like how she's going to end up I Mm -hmm. think those are all great moments yeah so what were some of your other favorite parts of the movie like favorite scenes favorite quotes performances I guess we can talk about the non-actors of the film first I think Swanky and Linda May are just Mm -hmm. incredible and through different interviews I learned that Linda May was a part of the actual book and original story And that the story she told in the film of how she was going to commit suicide and blow up her van, but she decided not to, is one, just a sob fest, but two, real fact. And her telling that story, it's these people telling their own stories. In the movie, you can feel how real they are and how their lives have been affected by capitalism and then also just living on the road as nomads Mm -hmm. and the sense of community they have and living together and surviving together. I think it's so powerful. (laughs) It is. Yeah. And then Swanky is just so much fun on her own. How did you feel about these two characters? I love them both. The scenes with Linda May and Fern when they're working like at the campground. Mm Mm-hmm are so good you really do just believe that they are like lifelong friends in a way the sense of humor that both of them have with each other and Mm -hmm. how well they play off of each other it's just amazing i love watching (laughs) them with swanky i love when fern has a flat tire and she goes and like interrupts her and she's all mad she's like didn't you see my flag out like don't disturb me and then she looks at her van and says that it's ratty She's just such a great character. And I think with all of these people, but specifically with Linda May and Swanky and the way that Chloe frames them, a lot of times with a close up, you really, especially when they're telling stories, like when Linda May is sharing that story that you mentioned and when Swanky reveals that 
she's really sick. She has cancer. Chloe keeps the camera right on their faces and you Mm -hmm. can just see the care that she has for these stories and these characters. And it feels like this blend of narrative filmmaking and documentary. Mm -hmm. I think if you didn't know who Frances McDormand was, there's a good chance that you can watch this movie and think it was a documentary with how well it's made and how it centers those Mm -hmm. stories of these people who, you know, live on the margins and who have been completely screwed over by our society and by the recession that starts this movie. I think that speaks to the filmmaking and the characters, but also just the setting. They got access to all of these locations, the Amazon shipping center, working the RV camp. I mean, they're in the bathroom cleaning part of the time. And then just the desert itself. I think the shots of the mountains and as a frontier is a metaphor for Fern's life, but also just very Malick in Mm -hmm. a naturalistic sense. And I think Chloe ties everything together so well. And Chloe mentions too that she was really influenced by Malick. There's this video on YouTube. It's through the Criterion Collection. And Mm. she's talking about the new worlds. She's talking about that and just how he uses nature and the types of shots and the feelings that his films evoke. I definitely felt that way watching this one. And I think, too, what she does, she shows the beauty of nature. I feel like most times when Francis isn't on the screen as Fern, you just are seeing these, like, sweeping, beautiful shots of nature. Just these trees in the sky and the following shots of Fern walking when the music is swelling and she's Mm -hmm. understanding her life and her journey more. And I just, I think this movie is also just, it's about the dignity of work. Going back to the RV camp really quickly with Linda May, Mm -hmm. when they said this, I was like, this needs to be our new tagline for Oscar Wilde, but (laughs) it's when she goes, we be the bitches of the Badlands. (laughs) I love when she says that so much. I was cracking up. And then when they go in the huge RV, the really new one, and she's like, whoa, it's like a disco. (laughs) I love when Fern sits in the driver's seat and she like starts making those noises and she's turning the yeah. she's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Where are we going? So sweet. Oh my God. Oh, I love it so much. And I think too, the way that this movie is shot, capturing moments like that, mm-hmm. I love that when her producing partner, Peter Spears, like asked her to read Nomad Land, I love that Frances like thought of Chloe because I really can't imagine anyone else making this every part of this is a perfect fit and it all goes back to i believe the 2018 spirit awards when chloe i think was the first winner of the bonnie award supporting independent women filmmakers and later that night francis had also won for three billboards and they had met the day before i believe and started talking about this film and during fran's acceptance speech She references Chloe on this new project that they're working on. I think that's a really endearing moment that she has. So if you haven't seen that before, it has to be on YouTube. So thinking about like Linda May with Fern and Swanky, like the three of them together. So I read that many of the co-stars, like including Swanky, had no idea who Frances McDormand was. Whoa. They just thought that she was one of them. 
Bob Wells also had no idea who she was. And they thought that, you know, because there are so many non-professional actors on the set, I think they just thought she was one of them. In the same regard, like I had never heard of Bob's YouTube videos, but they had gone viral and done really well. And that's how this group of people found out about him and his Mm -hmm. community. So I guess in that same way, our two worlds are I know kind of disconnected. Yeah. And there are like some other, you know, elements of Francis's real life and Dave, David Strait Theron's real life that they bring into the film. The guy who plays Dave's son is David Strait Theron's son oh, okay. in real life. The china that Fern has, that's the autumn leaf pattern. Yeah. Her dad actually gave that to oh, her. Another moment that intrigues me is when she was checking into the RV park and the woman can't find her name. She's like, oh, I'm with the Amazon force. Check under MCD. Did you catch that? (laughs) Yes. The second time I watched, I was like, wait, (laughs) MCD. Yeah, because they don't use last names in the movie. So I wasn't sure. I think some other compelling moments related to stories that are told are the sailboat in the driveway monologue which i think the importance of this movie is that even though it's a very specific tale anyone can relate Mm -hmm. to it it's about the importance of living your life and finding your passion and setting off on your open road in a way Mm -hmm. and in that relating to the final conversation that they have about see you down the road what's remembered lives and contemplating the past with looking towards the future it just makes you feel a lot of things in the moment and it's told so well it really is and i'm gonna nerd out for a minute because we brought up the what's remembered lives and this just like it really made me cry like so hard on second watch so i'm i'm gonna try not to cry right now talking about it but we'll see i'm like tearing up a little bit near the beginning fern We don't really know her as a character too much yet. We just know that she lives in her van. And she's at this kind of like sports store. Mm -hmm. And she's approached by this family who knows her. And it's this mom and her two daughters. And they ask her, are you doing okay? You know, are you working Amazon? And it's just kind of awkward. There's all this like weird tension there. But she's like, you know, like you can come stay with us. Are you still doing the van thing? All of that. And you're just like, Oh, Mm -hmm. this is like so cringy and sad. But then she talks to the daughter and the girl asks her like, are you homeless? She's like, I'm not homeless. I'm houseless. Mm -hmm. But then she asks her, do you remember anything when I tutored you? And she quotes Macbeth and she says, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and then she skips two lines and she says and all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death out out brief candle from a very famous monologue Mm -hmm. in Macbeth but the whole meaning of that besides the fact that Francis is going to play Lady Macbeth very soon (laughs) um, is that this passage is all about like how futile life is everything that we do it doesn't matter like we're just bound Mm -hmm. for death and life doesn't really mean anything at all and that's the first bit of Shakespeare we get at the beginning and it's just this dark horrible tragic message about death and then near the very end when Fern encounters this boy who is just another nomad who she met earlier Mm -hmm. in the film he gives her this beautiful lighter and he's telling her about his girlfriend and she's like have you ever tried writing her a poem 
and Fern recites Sonnet 18, which is more Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And the ending of that one is, so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee, which is saying that life is important. And when you love someone or something, that love is immortal. You fight and conquer death by relationships and by investing in other people and loving other people. And that is what's remembered lives. That is Shakespeare's way of saying Mm -hmm. that. And Chloe, I love how she brings it to that point by using these two Shakespeare passages almost as bookends for Fern's journey in her own way of self-discovery. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think meeting this young boy and then that final conversation where this line comes out of is her speaking with Bob about his son that committed suicide years ago and bringing this all back. And I think all three of those stories, let alone Linda Mays and Swinkies, are just Mm -hmm. so interconnected in telling how we survive as people and Mm -hmm. together. I think it's just so special. We can go on and on and on. And I I know it's It's just it's great to let's talk about Dave David Strathairn because I really loved him in this even though he's in like none of it. (laughs) He doesn't have a ton of screen time but I thought he was a great addition and I thought that the way the story explored their relationship Mm -hmm. was really interesting and I think now maybe we can move into spoilers like talking a little bit about the ending and how that goes so when i saw it both times i just imagined you know she's on the road i think the film is somewhat cyclical in nature in Mm -hmm. showing the repetition of the seasons passing and where fern Mm -hmm. is coming back to the amazon center and rotating through jobs i just assume Mm -hmm. you know she's on the road she's doing her next thing and that's how her life is going to continue But Mm -hmm. it was either in some article or interview, someone had said how it seems like she's contemplating stopping and finding a new direction for her life. And I hadn't seen it that way throughout because she goes to Dave and I think maybe for an instant imagines staying with him, but then she moves Mm -hmm. on. So do you think he made her rethink maybe her way of life or her mode of nomading so while i really liked him and his character i think it was a very small part of that because i think that she had to do a lot more work to move forward and i think that one thing that i really love was that when her van breaks down she ends up going to stay with her sister dolly and that doesn't really she's like i can't i can't stay here this is no i can't live in this house and it's kind of funny the way that she she expresses that and then when she goes to stay with Dave and his family you're like okay maybe this can work and the first time I watched this I was like please just stay with him Mm -hmm. like please 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 like make this work out but I knew ultimately that it wouldn't and part of it is because the way that Chloe frames Fern in bedrooms or inside like homes Mm -hmm. is so interesting because you get a really good feel for the space, but more importantly for how she feels inside the space, which I felt was very trapped. Just like she didn't belong there. Like she belonged Mm -hmm. in the wide open spaces, like the chicks would say. (laughs) (laughs) 
that really is like the song of the movie, I feel, even though it's not in it, of course. But <laughs> when she goes out that night to sleep in her van, I was like, okay, this is not, it's not working. I'm moving on. But I think when it, how it ends with her returning to Empire and she returns kind of step by step to all these places that she knew before in her mm-hmm. previous life. And she's in her old home and you see her step out the back door, like mm-hmm. into the scenery. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's no longer claustrophobic anymore. It's wide open. You get the nature, you know, like when she drives away into the future in her van, she's going to be okay. And I took that as, you know, maybe she's on the road for a little bit longer. Maybe she ends up settling down somewhere else someday. We don't really know, but wherever she's going, Mm-hmm. she's going to be okay and she's left empire behind she remembers now she can she can remember Bo without clinging to it mm-hmm. and letting it the memory drag her down now mm-hmm. she's living and i love mm-hmm. that i think it's so beautiful yeah and like transcendental almost well when she explains her old home and the life that her and Bo had together she says how through the back door, there was desert, desert, desert. There was nothing in our way. And to me, the desert seems like this empty, dried up landscape. But mm-hmm. she found such beauty in it. And I love that final shot because she starts inside with the camera and Fern had walked out the back door and then the camera mm-hmm. moves outside and then Fern exits the frame. But it is so beautiful. She finds these stunning sunsets and moments and with the mountains in the backdrop it shows us how fern was seeing that environment and i think it does now that you explain it like that show that there is this new future for her and catharsis it's so cathartic and i i think before i saw this movie i was just hearing the buzz around it like we talked about at the beginning you know it's won all these awards and i was mm-hmm. worried that i was just going to admire it and not love it or connect to it but I connected with it so deeply and this Mm -hmm. is not a life I could ever imagine living because the emotion is so human and so true and I think it does like you said have something that everyone can relate to in it even though the lifestyle itself is something that a lot of people I feel like who watch this won't relate to Mm -hmm. just speaking also about technical stuff here so the score that's used, the music, it's not eligible just based on the Ampass rules because it wasn't written for the film. Mm-hmm. It's not like original music for it, but it's by Ludovico Einaudi, and it is just this beautiful piano music mm-hmm. throughout most of the movie. And just my favorite instance of it, which I mentioned, is when we get this following shot of Fern walking through the RV park. I will say in one of my other nerdy moments, I did see him in concert in New York. (laughs) Really? A few years ago. Yeah, it was a sold out show. I have been such a fan of his for a long time. It's just like a great backdrop study score moment. And it's a very done up production, kind of like how I feel a Zimmer concert would be. But the layered ads to this movie, again, just makes things more pensive in overlying these characters' decisions and lives. There are so many great sequences. I think towards the end is when it's most impactful. Mm -hmm. But this was one of my favorite parts of the movie as well. And thankfully, it's now on Spotify, like the actual soundtrack, which I've been waiting for forever. And it's cute because there's 
a Nomadland cast version of On the Road Again, which they put in there. And then also Dave's song when he's playing the piano. It's definitely great to check out and play. And we've talked so much about the shots, but the DP on the film is Joshua James Richards, who I did not know was Chloe's partner. Yeah. Amazing. And he's done all of her movies. And he's won a lot of awards this season, too, for the cinematography. So honestly, I really hope that he continues onto the Oscars. I think it's the most beautifully shot movie we have this year. Mm-hmm. And Chloe editing as well is just yeah. beyond. She's in this interview with Barry Jenkins, and he asks her about that. Oh. <laughs> She's like, you see all of your mistakes. And I was like, you don't make mistakes. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know they had an interview together. Yeah, you should watch it. It's I saw it on YouTube. I don't oh. remember what it was through mm-hmm. at the moment. But, okay. yeah, definitely look it up. It's good. She also edited her first film, Songs My Brother Taught Me. And it looks like she worked on post-production for Eternals later this year, including writing that film as well. So she's written all of her films, produced all but Eternals. And I think that speaks to how well her vision comes through as an independent filmmaker. And I think that's really important, especially here. But I love that we really get to see into her mind. Yeah, it really is a great place to be, I feel like. Yeah, very zen. So if you could give Nomadland one Oscar, what would you give it? I think this is very clear for me. I would give it to Chloe. Okay. What about you? I would give it Best Picture. Okay. And part of that is because I can't pick. Like, I would want Chloe to win Best Director, Francis to win Best Actress. But Mm -hmm. I think after the year that we had... It was a year of loneliness. It was a year of self-discovery in many ways, I think, for a lot of people. It was a year of pain and trauma and heartbreak and all of these things that Nomadland crystallizes and dives into and lets you experience along with these people. And it reminds you to have empathy and think about the lives of others and what their situations might be and what they might be going through. And I think that it really has the perfect message for the past year, but also it's just so well made. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, the best picture winner is something that is really well made and also tells the story of the year. So next up, we'll be talking about Minari, which is a story about a Korean family who moves from California to rural Arkansas to find success in the 1980s. It's directed by Lee Isaac Chung, stars Steven Yoon, Yoonya Jung, Will Patton, Yuri Han, Alan Kim, and Noel Cho. This recently became available streaming through A24, and I think it's through more platforms now. But how did you feel about Minari? I adore this movie. It's such a beautiful story. The characters are really complex. They're never one note at all. Each one of them brings something I think unique to the story and I really love how the relationships develop I also think it's one of the best movies that we have about the American dream Mm -hmm. we have a lot of them this is really one I think that sets itself apart especially I think in the 21st century yeah it's such a wonderful portrait of American life and I think like Nomadland where it's this really specific story that Mm -hmm. relates to here, even though it's a Korean immigrant family, I think 
all viewers and a lot of the population can relate to how hard of a struggle it is for them to survive and succeed and in differentiating between those two things and figuring out if it's worth fighting for your dream or if it's an attainable goal and aside from that family drama and Mm -hmm. growing up and being this coming of age story it's beautiful in every element and I think it's also a delight it is up for a bunch of awards this season including SAG nominations critics choice spirit awards and last year at 2020 Sundance Awards it won the grand jury prize and audience award there so those are two of its biggest awards It's been a joy watching all of these interviews with all of the cast. Mm -hmm. It's great that they're getting their story out there. And I think especially Alan Kim, which we can go into at some point. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Steven Yoon having such a deserving potential Oscar run and award season, which he should have also been given for burning. Oh, my God. I know. I love Burning so much. I know I've talked about it so many times. Very different, obviously, than Minari. But if anyone's in the mood for a slow burn Korean thriller, please Mm -hmm. watch Burning and let us know what you think of it. It's so good. This one, I really do think that the performances from all the actors blend so well together. They have such great chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I think without that, it would be really hard for this movie to tonally not just be a bummer but instead these characters bring so much humor so much levity so much complexity sadness all of these things that you can feel my favorite relationship in this story is the relationship between Sunja the grandmother and David the little boy Mm -hmm. it is so cute and (laughs) you know you really I think feel the nuances of David this boy who from what we know I think he was born in America but the the dissonance and the experience that he has and is feeling you know growing up in rural Arkansas as a Korean American Mm -hmm. and grappling with his identity at such a young age while also just learning so much from his grandmother and at the beginning of the film when she first comes to Arkansas he's hiding behind his mom and doesn't want to meet her and he's kind of horrified by the fact that she gives him a chestnut that she just like spit out of her mouth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for him and he just looks at her as just someone who he will never understand and then he comes to connect with her in such a meaningful and hilarious and real way that I just I loved watching them together any mm-hmm. scene with them I loved it feels like the turning point in their relationship is when she teaches him about the actual Minati, the plant. And she describes it as growing like a weed. It's a versatile crop for the rich or poor. And I think that Mm -hmm. as a metaphor for the story of this experience they have as a family is so meaningful. And we get to see these very small moments again between you know what it's like for these kids to be treated by white American children as having accents or looking different or in moments with the wife where she struggles to be okay with living in this trailer and the father wanting to realize his goal of owning a farm and outsourcing these Korean crops 
to local store owners. So talking about the title and where it comes from with the plant, I love how it works as a metaphor throughout the story and for the story, but it isn't one that hits you over the head. This one's so much simpler. You know, we learn that it dies in the first year, thrives in the second, and brings life to the soil around them. And that's exactly what is happening to this family in the story. And I think that that's so beautiful and how subtly that happens, but also how each of these characters are so strong, so three-dimensional in having a part in how that happens. And one thing that I read that was really interesting to me and really helpful, it's from Kristen Yunsu Kim's review. She's a film critic. This review I read in The Nation. And when describing Stephen Yun's character, she says... Jacob is no villain here. He's a strict yet tender father and husband. He also bears the responsibility of being the eldest son in his own family. This is a pressure so overwhelming that Korean women are customarily warned against marrying firstborn men. Knowing that may help viewers better understand how Jacob became so tunnel visioned in his need for self-sufficiency. Oh. That was helpful to me in understanding why Jacob was so committed to achieving this type of American dream. And I think the Monica character, his wife, the mom, who I actually love Yuri Han's performance. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite in the film beside Yunya Jung's because her performance is just so emotional. And she, I think, bears a lot of the weight of having the more serious conversations of struggling with moving to this new place and not really understanding why they're there and feeling like it's a waste and, you know, having the hospital being an hour away when we learn about David's heart condition, she's the one who Mm -hmm. has to kind of navigate that. And there's a moment in the movie. When I first watched this, I wrote about this in my letterbox review because it made me think of my mom. And at the beginning, you just know she's feeling all this pain. She doesn't really know what's going on. And the grandmother, her mom, pulls out this bag of anchovies and she immediately starts crying (laughs) and you just get that feeling of like when you're visited by a family member you haven't seen in a while and they just like give you something that you you need and it can be something like that simple that you just Mm -hmm. don't have access to or that reminds you of home just that feeling of that is just so it, it brought up so many emotions for me and is doing the same thing right now honestly so we can move on. <laughs> I really like her performance too. And I think in their argument near the end, I think this really comes out because she's standing firm in her beliefs and in what she thinks is best for her kids. And that's really where her mind is. And that's why I love the dichotomy between the mother and father so much. It's because, you know, she wants to survive. She enjoyed her life enough in California, but. The husband wanted to come to Arkansas because it had great soil and he found it as a possible chance for them to really succeed as a family and in business in this American way. And I love to see how they struggle. Mm -hmm. It really leads up to this thrilling climactic moment and each of them plays such an important role in this scene. You know, it even comes back to the grandmother where they don't end up blaming her. It's seeing David run after the grandmother that made me sob. Sobbing. It's like (laughs) he's willing to die for her now after getting to know her and love her. It's, it's, 
incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it shows, again, going back to that metaphor of just of growth and of the grandmother in a way is just like the plant. You know, she's bringing this life mm-hmm. to this family and to the soil in Arkansas in a way by bringing their culture and what she says earlier in the movie, they come to America and forget everything. <laughs> My other favorite part of the film is the score. So the Emile Mosseri score, I think mm-hmm. is just so beautiful. It's one of my favorite scores of the year. I really hope that it gets nominated at mm-hmm. the Oscars because it, it just adds so much to the film. He also scored the last black man in San Francisco, yes. which is another one of my Ugh. go-to cry scores. Amazing. Like if Beale street could talk. Yeah. <laughs> and I think his score really adds to the cinematography and just the, the whole feel of the film that Lee Isaac Chung gives us, which is this kind of like, Edward Hopper, Willa Cather, simplistic beauty of the American frontier, which I think also relates to Nomadland mm-hmm. a little bit. It was a really beautiful connection. Well, this is also somewhat autobiographical for mm-hmm. Chung as well. He, as a kid, moved to rural Arkansas to open this farm. He found that this was the moment in his life where he wanted to tell this really personal story. I listened to an interview with him on the Big Picture podcast. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about how he was kind of ready to just like throw in the towel on filmmaking. Hmm. He ended up getting a teaching job and he was going to teach film classes, I believe, at University of Utah at their Hmm. um, campus in Seoul. And he was just like, you know, like I'll write this screenplay as like prep for the class. And then it turned into this, which is crazy. So everyone follow your dreams. (laughs) Don't give up. Again, speaking to the interviews with the cast, they each have done lots of interviews kind of on the flip side to Chloe and Fran, which is great because we see Steven, there's a, an actor's studio interview with Steven and Riz talking together, which is great. So I Mm -hmm. think it's fun to see each of these actors speak about their roles. And the most fun, obviously, is Alan Kim, who is dressed in his Woody outfit and speaks about Captain Underpants or Macaroon 5. (laughs) The cutest thing when he says his favorite song is Sugar by Macaroon 5. There's nothing better. And when he says his favorite actor is Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) And then the cutest video of him hearing the voicemail Mm -hmm. from from Sonic. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cute. (laughs) This adorable child. I love him so much. And also just seeing the difference between him and the film. He looks so young. But this was also Mm -hmm. filmed like two plus years ago, maybe. Yeah. And I learned through that interview with the big picture that Lee Isaac Chung had a casting director who would go to Korean schools, Korean churches in LA to try to find kids for the film. And that's how they found Alan. (laughs) And in these interviews, it's so cute because people will be like, what made you want to like be in a movie? He's like, I just, I want to be famous. (laughs) So if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? It's so hard because there really are so many. This is another one where I would just, I would give it multiple if I Mm -hmm. could. I think this year I would do 
Best Supporting Actress for Yoon Jung. Yeah, so would I. And Minari's nominated for a Golden Globe, but Yoo Jung isn't. And I think even if she was, I wouldn't expect her to win at the Globes. But I think at the mm-hmm. Oscars, I'm really going to be rooting for her because she just gives this amazingly comedic yet dramatic and important performance. Yeah. I really do want to go back and see more of her films because she's a really well-known Korean actress. This was also fun in interviews when she talks about, you know, coming to America, her experience on film sets were different. And they know in Korea that she doesn't like to film until later in the day. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this would go for her. Yeah. (laughs) That I feel like that suits her personality so well. Like I can totally see that. She steals the show in an incredible mm-hmm. ensemble, mm-hmm. which is a big feat. And I'm really rooting for this to win SAG ensemble. I don't know if it yeah. will, but that would be amazing. I think if they win there, it could lead to a bigger push for the Oscars. I think it's going to be a tougher chance there, obviously. But I do love that this is getting all of the recognition that it has. Me too. So two fantastic very emotional films that we talked about today that i think we just can't recommend highly enough nomadland you can stream now on hulu if you have hulu and minari is available pretty much everywhere to rent i think you can get it on youtube you can get it on prime so definitely check out both of these films and i know minari will come to a streaming platform at some point later So next time on Oscar Wilde will be our 50th episode, which is exciting. Yeah. (laughs) And we will be doing an award season mailbag. So if you have questions about like, why are certain people nominated? What do you think the ceremony will be like this year since Steven Soderbergh is producing and maybe it'll be on Zoom? (laughs) Feel free to ask us any of those questions and we will try our best to help and you can send your questions to us on Twitter, Instagram, at Oscar Wilde Pod. You can also email them to us at OscarWildePod at gmail.com. And we'll try our best to get as many as we can into the episode. And then along with the mailbag, we will be talking about our Oscar non predictions because they will be coming out on March 15th, which is in 11 days. So soon. This season has been dragging on in so many ways, but it's wild that these Oscar nominations are finally almost here. I cannot wait to have them. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Stay safe and wear your masks.